You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln audio podcast. Good morning, everybody. Well, this man, like another man that we're getting ready to read about, bought into the lie. And the lie is the lie that's associated with the gods of power, achievement, success, and wealth. Let me read to you from Mark chapter 10. At least I had you turn there. I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 17 through verse 22. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Um, What can we conclude about this man from his story? Well, um, Matthew tells us that the man was a young man. Um, Luke, in his account of the story, tells us that he was a ruler. And then as we read in Mark, Mark tells us that um, he was uh, an eager man. He, he ran to Jesus. He was an inquisitive man. Um, he asked, what must I do to in, eter, uh, inherit eternal life? He was a respectful man because he referred to Jesus as good teacher. Um, we know that he was a, a wealthy man because he, he walked away because of his great wealth. Um, there's nothing in this story that would cause us to believe in any way that this man was a bad man. In fact, he, he wasn't anti-God. He had kept the commandments since his boyhood, probably beginning at about age 12, right after his bar mitzvah. Uh, What drew him to Jesus? Perhaps he had heard Jesus teach before and it drew him to him and caused him to ask the question about eternal life. Uh, Maybe he related well to Jesus because it's possible that they were about the the same age. Uh, Think about this. Uh, This young man wasn't the only wealthy man in the conversation Jesus was rich too. It was just a different kind of wealth that he had. He possessed the fullness of spiritual knowledge. And Jesus was a ruler. It was just of a different kingdom, a much greater kingdom. Uh, They had a lot in common. Um, Jesus was not unfamiliar with what he asked this young man to do when he said, uh, give up everything that you have, everything you are. In other words, he was saying, would you empty yourself uh, and then follow me? Because after all, Jesus had done the same thing. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. And he emptied himself on the cross for you and I so that we could have eternal life. Um, Jesus' response to this young man and his question is actually quite simple. He says, well, if you want to inherit eternal life, then you've got, you've got to empty yourself. You've got to be willing to let go of everything you're holding on to so tightly. But we can tell from this man's response that uh, it wasn't that simple for him uh, based again on his response because he, he was sad and he walked away because of his great wealth. 
It's true that he walked away because of his great wealth. We can't deny that. That's right there in the scripture. But I have to believe that it wasn't only his wealth that caused him to reject Jesus' invitation. He was rich, but he was also a ruler. And what do rulers have? Rulers have power. So in choosing to walk away, he prioritized his wealth and the power that came with that wealth above his pursuit of God. Why that conclusion? Well, remember, a God is what we are willing to sacrifice for. A God is what we are willing to pursue. A God is anything that we elevate above our own uh, priority and pursuit of the one true God. Uh, 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 Idol worship is when we're willing to substitute something else for God in our lives. And this seems very obviously to be the case with this young man. All that he is... All that he has was elevated above God when he made that decision to turn and walk away. That was the choice that he made that day. But I want to—I—I I, I found myself asking the question: What's what was really what was really going on? What what was the real catalyst? What was happening in this man's life? And I think Jesus gives us some really great insight into this. I want to read the passage. You don't need to turn there, but I want to read a passage to you from Matthew chapter 6, and it says, uh, beginning in verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen to this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what was going on. This man's choice revealed his treasure and his treasure revealed his heart. So it seems only right to conclude that this good, respectful man who had kept all of the commandments was suffering from a heart problem. And in the battle of the gods, remember that's what we're talking about right now. The battle that goes on in our hearts among the gods, looking for, buying for, competing for the love, the loyalty, the worship, the, the honor that goes to the one true God. In the battle of the gods, the gods will always go after the heart. Listen to me say that again. The gods will always go after the heart. In other words, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart in the battle of the gods. When our heart is devoted to something that holds greater value than God in our lives, we have created an idol. And that's exactly what was going on in this story. That's what was happening here. This man has hammered out an idol. The image we see is the image of a man elevating his wealth, his position, his power above his pursuit of God. Because again, he made a choice. Jesus said, give up everything you have and follow me. He couldn't do it. Saddened, he walked away because of his great wealth. And I personally believe the power that came with that wealth. So by now, you've probably figured out that the God that we want to confront today is the God of power. But in doing so, what we actually want to do is confront the gods that are most closely associated with the God of power. And this is the gods of success and money and achievement. Let me tell you something about these gods of power. They all work from a common shared premise. And that premise is this. We can take care of ourselves and we can handle our needs. That's the premise 
That's what these gods of power work from. We can take care of ourselves and we can handle all of our needs ourselves. We certainly see this played out in the battle with the God of success, which is the first God that we want to talk about. So looking again back at the encounter that this young man had with Jesus uh, and his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, there are three words that I want us to take note of in this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the first word is I. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it would appear that he's asking, uh, what, what can I do to handle my need for eternal life? What can I do to, to achieve it? In other words, he was putting the responsibility on himself for eternal life. And then he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it would appear that in asking, what must I do, that he's, he's, he's asking, um, what can I do to earn? What can I do to, to, to achieve? What can I do to work for uh, e e eternal life? And then he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. And that word is inherit is important because in the original Greek, uh, it can be um, uh, translated as either acquire or earn. So could it be that the impression that this young uh, ruler, this rich young ruler had is that um, I can work for, I can earn, I can achieve um, I, can, I can come to a point of success by handling my need for eternal life. Was it uh, maybe something that he felt would look good on his resume? Or was he treating it like a merit badge that you would earn? Hey, look what I did. I worked and I worked and I worked and I achieved it myself. I achieved the merit badge of eternal life. Listen, this is one of the deceptions of the God of success. It deceives a person into thinking that he or she can do for themselves only what God can do. Every time. That deception is always at work. What are we actually talking about uh, when we talk about success? Well, our culture defines success as the prestige that comes from attaining an elevated social status. I've made it. Uh, for others, um, success might be defined as uh, finding out how the score is kept and then playing the game so you can get the highest score according to those rules. And for others, success would be uh, making your way to the top of the heap so you can declare, I am king of the hill. But it's interesting because I think we all know Jesus defines success in such a different way. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, then you have to learn how to be a servant. So Jesus is saying, it's not about how high you can go, but it's about how low you're willing to go in emptying yourself and serving others. I really want to be clear, um, wanting to be successful is not bad. I hope you all want to be successful. I want to be successful. Success in itself is not bad, but it's like I said last week, anything good even good gifts that God gives can be taken and twisted and lure us to the dark side. And our culture twists success by uh, th this mindset, requiring us to act as if we've got it all figured out. That's what success looks like in our culture. When in real reality, success is saying to God, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. 
That's really the only way to be successful in life is to realize I can't handle my needs. I can't take care of myself. It requires someone greater than me, more powerful than me, and that's God because God knows all things. Listen, uh, let me ask you a few questions to help you determine as to whether or not you're wrestling with a God of success. What is your personal operating definition of success? How have you defined success? Um, what, what, in, in that, what goals, formal or informal, chart your course? What drives your desire to be successful? What is it that motivates you? Are you motivated by the kingdom of God or are you motivated by self? Is it for self-worth, self-earning? Let's talk about the second God, power God. Uh, most often working alongside the God of success is the God of money. Without a doubt, the rich young ruler was battling with the God of money. And uh, what we know, at least by the end of the story, we don't know about the end of his life, but we know at the end of this story, he, uh, the, 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 the God of money was winning out because, again, it says the young man went away because he had great wealth. Uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this, Some men worship rank, some worship heroes, some worship power, and some worship God. And over these ideals, they dispute and cannot unite, but they all worship money. Um, of the 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 of those parables have to do with money. Jesus makes it very clear that God's chief competition for our hearts is the God of money. He, he, he spoke it. But let's face it, money in itself isn't the real issue, is it? Money's neutral. Money in itself is not good and money's not bad. What is it that Jesus did not say about money? He did not say money is the root of all evil, right? What did he say? The love of money is the root of all evil. That's how it becomes a God. You see, when I partner my money with my love, then it's starting to get twisted. It's luring me to the dark side because what happens when I partner those things together, I begin to look to my money to meet my needs. And I begin to elevate my pursuit of money, my pursuit of wealth, my pursuit of riches above my pursuit of God. And when that happens, what am I doing? I'm hammering out an idol. I'm placing something uh, above my love for God. Now, let me say this. In fact, I can safely say, I think probably every single person in this room has dreamed of being rich. Have you? I think we've all dreamed about what it would be like to have a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And I think I could pretty safely say that there are at least some in this room who when the Mega Millions jackpot begins to creep a little higher and a little higher, and then it starts getting into those record numbers that you have either incognito or in broad daylight, you've gone out and brought a, a lottery ticket or two. Am I right? Okay, here's a confession. I have. You, you, can, you can decide if you're going to be truthful or not. But I've bought more than one. And I, in my mind, had grand plans for that money. Talk about the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. I was going to finance it. 
I mean, that's really what it was all about. I'm going to do good things with the money. If God, for your glory, just let me win. Just let me win. Just let me win. I just want a lot of money. But it's for you, God. It's for you, God. And I think we probably all, we've all thought about it. But we've also seen the statistics. Um, a large number of lottery tickets are broke, unhappy, and many of them are actually dead now. Uh, we all need money. We can't deny that we need money. Uh, we live in a society, a culture that it requires money. That's, that, that's really not an issue. Um, but we have to have a right view of money. And the right view of money is that money... A minute ago, I said, if I partner my money with my love, there's part of the, the issue because it was never my money. You see, it's God's money. And if you're having trouble doubting that, listen to Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That includes our money. Everything belongs to God. And God simply loans it to us. He entrusts it to us so that we can steward his resources. And we're supposed to steward it well. So because this is true, then we need to use money as a tool, a tool to meet our needs and to serve others, to help meet the needs of others. And I think we could all confess this. Money is a great tool, isn't it? Money's a great tool. It's a horrible master. It does not master us well. Uh, let me ask you some questions to help you determine if you um, are wrestling with the God of money. How much anxiety does money add to your life? To what extent are your dreams and goals driven by money? And what is your attitude towards giving your money away? Do you have issues with generosity? Is it easier to hold on to your money? So the God of money. Let's talk about the last one. Uh, let's talk about the God of achievement. And I want you to just bear with me. Imagine for just a moment. Um, imagine, again, I can be vivid in my imagination. So again, ma imagine with me. One day Jesus is out and he takes out his cell phone. I'm not being sacrilegious, just for the sake of the story. He takes out his cell phone and he makes a call. He says, hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood in just a little while. And I would love to come and spend some time at your house today. And so uh, now imagine in this home where he's made the call, uh, there are two sisters. And one of those sisters is frantically moving about the house, making preparations, trying to achieve the perfect setting because Jesus is coming to their home that day. She is busy working for perfection. Now imagine Jesus has arrived and this sister continues to frantically move around the house, still working to achieve perfection. It has to be just right for Jesus. And then there's the other sister and she's just sitting with Jesus and they're laughing and talking and she's asking questions and, and, and she's listening to everything that he has to say. And of course, these two sisters are Martha and Mary. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. And I think from the description that we have of Martha in this um, story, we could uh, determine that Martha is an achiever. Martha is an achiever. In fact, from the description we have of her in the story, I think that we could go ahead and determine that she's probably an overachiever. It looks like she's working to achieve perfection in the home that day. In the midst of her working, 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 she suddenly burst out into a complaint. Perhaps it was a comparison. And she says, Jesus, don't you care? 
Don't you care that I'm doing all the work to make everything perfect and my sister's just sitting there laughing with you, just talking and listening while I'm working so hard? And I love Jesus' response. He says, Martha, you're worrying about stuff you don't need to be worrying about. I don't care. I don't care what it looks like. I know the food's going to be good. You're missing out, unlike your sister, who is spending quality time with me. And that's the deception of the God of achievement. The God of achievement works to keep you distracted. It works to keep us busy. It deceives us into believing that what we're working to achieve is really, really important. So it must be good. So in our efforts to achieve, far too often what we're doing is elevating achievement, the pursuit of achievement, above our pursuit of God. Let me ask, uh, it, it's not bad to be an achiever. Please know that. How many achievers do we have in the room? If you're an achiever, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed of it. That's a really good thing, okay? How many uh, self-proclaimed uh, overachievers do we have in the room? Any? Nobody's going to confess this, right? Uh, let me help you with this. I want to give you some nine signs that you might be struggling with overachieving. Number one, your identity is defined by what you are able to achieve. Number two, you often think that you're not good enough because you aren't achieving enough. You run from criticism because it represents failure. You're very future-focused. You're a perfectionist. You feel anxious a lot. Once you get the promotion you so badly wanted, you're thinking about how you'll get the next one. You're the first one in the office and the last one to leave. And finally, in high school, you were in at least 15 different clubs. Let me give you a few questions to help you uh, determine if you're wrestling with a God of achievement. Have you allowed your life to be defined by what you have or have not achieved? Why do you do what you do? Do you feel guilty when you're not producing, when you're not doing, when you're not achieving something? Is your need to achieve a distraction does it override, does it distract you from your ability to spend quality time with Jesus? You know, for the past four weeks, we've been talking about the battle of the gods. Last week, we talked about the God of pleasure, food, sex, entertainment. And I said... There's so much that we could say about all of these, but there's just not time. And the same is true today as we've talked about these power gods, success, money, and achievement. There's so much that could be said. There's so much scripture that we could dig into. There's so much uh, room to allow the Holy Spirit to, to work. But yeah, we're, we're limited on time. But I think we all get the, the overall message that there's a battle going on it's in the heart, and there are other gods who are competing for the love, the loyal, the worship, the attention, everything that God deserves. And each one of those gods will promise really big. Think about money and the great promises money 
But the promise is temporary. If it comes through at all. So often, what's been promised only becomes disappointment. Um, it, it, just, it just can't follow through. It, it, it can't produce. You can't depend on the gods, little g gods. They're not faithful to you. They're out for their own gain. They're fighting for what belongs to God because they're anti-God. But here's what we can count on. God is always faithful. He never goes back on his promises. Everything in his word he will stand true to. And what he promises is eternal treasure. It's like we read in Matthew chapter 6. We can trust in the faithfulness of God when we can't trust in the faithfulness of anything else. We put our hope, all of our hope, in the one true God. We elevate Him above all. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.